This episode is in partnership with Dell Technologies. Looking for the right tech solutions for your business? Look no further. You go the distance for your business, so do we. To find out more, visit dell.co.uk forward slash small biz. Welcome to the latest First Voice monthly roundup podcast brought to you by First Voice magazine, the official flagship magazine of the Federation of Small Businesses and the go-to podcast for news tips and important information for small businesses and the self-employed. This episode is our March Small Business Roundup in which we will take a look back at some of the important issues you need to be aware of from the past month and a quick look at anything important on the radar in the coming weeks. Uh, to help me do that, I'm pleased to say I'm joined by three guests to update us on three different big issues. Uh, and they are David Perry, Managing Director of FSB Insurance Service, uh, who will talk us through some current issues around obtaining insurance for small businesses. Paul Wilson, Policy Director at FSB, who will chat to us about the further easing of COVID restrictions in England. Uh, And James Sibley, Head of International Affairs at FSB, who will set out some of the pressures facing small businesses one year on from the UK entering into the UK-EU free trade agreement. Thanks very much um, for joining us, all of you. Uh, David, I'd like to start uh, with you, if I may. Obviously, we've seen uh, a number of really powerful storms across the UK this past couple of weeks, uh, which will likely have caused a fair bit of damage to a lot of UK small businesses, um, and that's brought into focus this issue of small business insurance. Now, obtaining small business insurance might seem like a a pretty straightforward process, but that's not quite the case, is it? What are are some of the issues in play in the insurance market right now? Yeah, that's right, John. I I think uh, one of the things that lots of people are are hearing uh, often at the moment is the expression that uh, at the moment the insurance market is hard. There's a hard market. And and I thought I'd just explain very briefly what that's all about. Um, A soft market, like in in many situations, in many marketplaces, where uh, it's uh, dependent on capacity, on capital, on investors coming in and getting involved. In in a soft market, premiums are very competitive. Uh, There are lots of players, lots of people trying to, to get your business. And it gets to the Point where where premiums drop, claims start uh, to, to rise. Uh, they, they, there are too many claims for the premium uh, that's coming in, so capacity starts to pull away. Premium rises again. Uh, they start to get very very high, uh, and then uh, suddenly claims peak. Uh, and people start to make profits again. So uh, uh, you go past a hardening of the market, insurers come back in, uh, and it all starts again. Now, in the past, that cycle has lasted three or four years. But insurers are telling us that uh, for the period 2004 to 2019, rates just continued to come down. It's been the longest ever soft market. And over that period, insurers had uh, 15 years of reductions, but also benign investment returns, uh, an increasing number of catastrophic claims. Uh, And so um, one of the things to point out, I guess, is that they they actually pay out uh, the Association of British Insurers 
46 million pounds a day in claims. And Storm Franklin, just to, to the point you made earlier, uh, so that's one of the th three storms alone uh, over the last few days, uh, is predicted to cost them 360 million pounds. So very, very difficult marketplace for them. And we're experiencing not a three-year correction, but a 15-year correction, which is why we're seeing rates go up so high. Uh, we're also seeing insurers withdraw, uh, so it's harder to get insurance. And claims, well, insurers are taking a closer look to make sure they're paying for the right things. Brilliant. You mentioned we're in a 15-year cycle there. I mean, th this is going to be an ongoing issue for small businesses, is it? And, you know, is, is it high up on, on their lists of concerns right now? It's very high up, and the, the, the FSB uh, at the moment are working on uh, producing the results of a survey. We've only got some sort of early highlight uh, trends to have a look at, but uh, the, the, the early news is that something in the region of two-thirds of small businesses are seeing uh, premium increases, and over half of those are seeing those increases by more than 10%. Uh, the survey is indicating that around 25% of businesses are cutting costs as a result. Um, one in three have had uh, cover restrictions or terms imposed on, the, uh, on their insurance. And uh, around 30% are saying that uh, they're finding it all very difficult to understand. On a positive note, uh, the vast majority are continuing to take advice, which we would always recommend. Um, insurance is a complicated area, so make sure that you're talking to someone that can help you. Um, and of course, the FSB policy team are right on it. Uh, they're involved heavily in the work that's being done in respect of flood, uh, in respect of areas like professional indemnity, which a lot of people are really struggling with, in respect of um, trying to encourage the prompt payment of claims. Uh, and obviously, they've also been very involved over the last two years uh, with the ABI and Treasury in respect to the pandemic and so on. And I think the last thing that they're really pushing for, because this continues to be an issue, is just plain English, this whole thing around understanding your insurance. Surely it can't be that difficult to, to, to make it easier to understand. Yeah, and you mentioned there that you know firms are open to some guidance and advice. Have you, have you got some tips of things that small businesses can be doing to sort of help them better obtain insurance and insurance, I guess, at an affordable rate? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the most important thing to do is to give full details of what you do. Um, you know, if you're renewing your insurance and things have changed, uh, then it's really important to remember that your insurer's view of what you do as a business is what you last told them you, that you do. So if things have changed, just make sure that they're clear. And that's really relevant for uh, the, the last period of time where lots of people have adapted. You know, small firms are resilient and they're working hard to, to make sure that they survive. So we've got all of the things that are in the press at the moment, like lots of people working from home. Remember that uh, you're still responsible for your liabilities. You're still responsible for your equipment. Uh, cyber cover, also really important, obviously, with people uh, working in the cloud. Uh, you may um, have been a, a premises-based business that's now uh, delivering things. Uh, you may be a manufacturer that's now having to go straight to market direct. Um, you could be um, a business that has pre Previously worked from a fixed site and people that have come to you, but you've gone global. Uh, you know, the, the, the internet's a wonderful thing. People are, uh, are selling uh, much more broadly uh, from a geographical point of view, which means that when you look at your pocket,
policy, you have to look at things like where your geographical limits are, where are you allowed to sell, but also, very importantly, jurisdiction, which talks about where where the, the, the legal element of the policy uh, will, will operate. So there are all sorts of things that you need to think about uh, when uh, pro- providing the information to your insurers, but also, very quickly, just looking out for some of these extra terms and conditions. So, quick list for you. Higher excesses. The excess is the bit of the claim that you might pay. Reduced limit of indemnity. This is where, for example, with public liability, you might have previously had £5 million, could be reduced to two. Inner limits. So you might now have a £2 million limit of indemnity, but in respect of certain things that you do, that's reduced. Um, having your limit changed from any one claim to in the aggregate. So uh, any one claim, as the name suggests, means that uh, uh, during the period of insurance, any one claim that you have will go up to your limit. In the aggregate means that you can only have your limit in the whole period. Alarm and security warranties, have a look at those. Flood restrictions are getting tighter as the technology improves. Um, and look out for conditions like uh, stillage, uh, where uh, you're going to be required to have stock and equipment raised above a certain level uh, in uh, in your premises. Okay, so just one final thing on insurance before we move on. Um, you're, you're, you're part of FSB Insurance Service, which is a big part of the FSB offering. Not all of our listeners will know about that service or, or what it does. Can you give us a quick overview of that? Yes, yeah, certainly. I mean, the, the, the key thing that the FSB insurance service does is provide an advice line for FSB members. So when you register with it, uh, we, there are a number of benefits and we are obviously a fully authorised broker as well. But the key benefit is that if FSB members need a bit of insurance advice on any of this stuff, uh, then they can ring us and we'll provide it for them. That's great. Brilliant. Thanks, David. Um, you know, I want to move on to another big event um, from February, which was the news um, from the government that from 1st of April in England, we will see an end to all remaining domestic COVID-19 restrictions in law uh, and a shift to people instead being expected to exercise personal responsibility. Uh, Paul Wilson, I'll come to you um, if I may. What's um, FSB's response to this? Is it, is it a welcome move? Morning, John. So I think there are definitely some things to welcome in the government's announcement, but there are a number of things that still remain uncertain as well. So the first thing to emphasise is that from yesterday, the legal requirement to self-isolate in England ended. Also, the requirement to inform your employer when you have COVID ends too. Now, that's been replaced with advice from the government to continue to self-isolate if you have COVID. And while I guess on the one hand it's encouraging that case levels are dropping and legal requirements can be relaxed, the advice does leave employers in a less certain position. Now, looking forward, we know that on the 1st of April, government will be producing more guidance on this. And we very much hope that that will provide some long-term clarity, but a month is a long time to wait. Now, another thing to focus on is free mass testing, which I think has been a really important and big help during the course of the pandemic. That's going to come to an end on the 1st of April. This is obviously then a risk that people will test less as a result due to the additional cost, and that is a concern. I'm going to talk quickly about respecting house rules, which is something that FSB has been really strong on throughout the pandemic, and I would continue to emphasise it. There have been times where even though, say, restrictions haven't been required by law, it has been up to small businesses to ask customers to, you know, for example, wear a mask if they're able to do so and don't have an exemption. And what I would say is it's really important that customers continue to respect the house rules that a small business owner puts in place, which are often there to keep themselves, their staff and 
their customers safe. And then the last change that I draw attention to is around statutory sick pay. When Omicron emerged in, in December, FSB really pushed the need to reintroduce a statutory sick pay rebate to help small businesses manage the costs of COVID sickness absence. And I'm delighted that the Chancellor did listen to us and he did introduce that. And that's meant that when a member of staff has had to isolate with COVID, the employer can claim back two weeks of sick pay. But that is due to come to an end as well. So the last date for absences that will be covered by the rebate will be the 17th of March. The last date for claiming will be the 24th of March. Now, FSB thinks it's wrong for this rebate to end. It's good that people take time off sick when they're unwell rather than coming into work and passing things on. And it's good that small firms do so much to support them to do this. Neither group should face a financial penalty for doing the right thing. And at the moment, we estimate that the average cost of sickness absence is around three and a half grand a year for a small firm. So what we're calling on the government to do is actually to expand and extend the statutory sick pay rebate. So rather than just covering COVID, it actually covers a broad range of absences. Otherwise, it's yet another cost for small businesses on top of a range of other cost pressures that they're facing at the moment. Yeah, there's the message here that, you know, just because restrictions are ending, it doesn't mean that it automatically removes all the pressure from, from small businesses, you know, which, which face ongoing disruption and other financial pressures, don't they? Well, that's absolutely right. You know, small businesses have faced two years of disruption and COVID-related costs now. You know, a number were in debt before the pandemic and many more took on further debt in the form of, for example, bounce-back loans in the first year of the pandemic. But when they took on those loans, they were hoping that the pandemic might be over in a few months' time. I think we all optimistically held that view at first. Last year, we surveyed FSB members and 37% of those with debt said it felt unmanageable to them just to show a degree of some of the sort of debt pressure that they're under. And now we're two years into the pandemic, hopefully Touchwood coming out of it. But unfortunately, many small businesses have had a really disappointing last quarter, really disappointing Christmas season, due principally to the Omicron variant and the reduction in consumer demand that we saw. You know, we run a quarterly confidence survey of our members. And over the last three quarters, we've seen drops in confidence, you know, particularly bad for retail and for hospitality. And I think the other thing that, you know, is is tough for the small business community at the moment, it's just the wide range of cost pressures that they face. In our last confidence survey, 78% reported increased costs in the last quarter. Now, we ask that question every quarter, and we have done for about seven years, and that is the highest response we've ever had to it. And it's not driven by any single thing. You know, There's a range of factors there. Energy costs are going up, fuel costs are going up, input costs are going up, labour, and then there's regulation and tax, the things that are always there. And that's why I think as we you know, look, look forward to the Chancellor's uh, spring statement, the FSB thinks it is an own goal if the government would continue with the planned rise in national insurance and dividend tax that's due for April. That'll just pile more cost pressures on. It'll cause businesses to need to further increase prices, which of course will affect consumers, or it will cut back, or they'll have to cut back on staff. And fundamentally, we just think it could put at risk the fragile recovery. So, FSB continues to call on the government to either reverse the national insurance increase, or at the very least, increase something called the employment allowance to help the smallest businesses manage some of those costs. Yeah, and you touched on um, sick pay there. You touched on uh, COVID 
borrowing and you touched on the national insurance increase. Is there anything else that FSB is calling on government to do um, or, or that you'd like to see happen in response to the current COVID situation moving forward? Well, I think those are some of the key points. Another one I would emphasise, though, is ventilation. Ventilation has been really important for managing COVID, keeping workplaces safe. And ideally, there'd be more financial support in place from government in the form of things like grants to help workplaces install better ventilation. But at the very least, I think it's critical that businesses aren't penalised for doing the right thing for installing ventilation through, for example, receiving higher business rates bills. So we need to see those perverse incentives whereby you do something good, you install something to protect your staff and customers against COVID and you end up paying more in tax as a result. That has to change. I would say that, you know, businesses who have taken on that COVID debt that I mentioned, they need support. So businesses with bounce back loans can use something called pay-as-you-grow flexibilities, which is worth thinking about. But those with other types of loans can't. And banks will really need to support their small business customers at this time. And lastly, as I mentioned, you know, there's the overall burden of taxation there. And as well as looking at things like the employment allowance and reconsidering the national insurance contribution increase, we think the Chancellor should reduce the burden of taxation on small businesses by taking more small businesses out of the business rate system. If we want to level up, then let's give our high streets a chance. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Um, that's great. I want to move on to our um, third topic, if I may. February also marked the one-year anniversary of the UK entering into the UK-EU free trade agreement. Uh, with everything else that's gone on in the past 12 months, it's easy for, for some of us to think that Brexit has perhaps passed. But for many small businesses, James, that's that's not the case, is it? No, it, it certainly isn't. Um, and for many small firms engaged in trade with the EU, it's been, it's been a tough year. Um, I mean, it was a tough year anyway because of COVID, because of things like supply chain disruption. But, you know, we've also undergone the, the biggest change to our trading relationship with the EU and with the world in nearly half a century. And that comes with considerable disruption. So uh, we've seen that with our, our exporters and our importers uh, and then also small firms in the supply chains of, of large firms that, that import or export. Um, and you can see it coming through our stats. So just to... Just to mention a couple, um, consistently over the past year since uh, since the start of last year, um, we've had about one in five of our exporters say that they have stopped exporting to the EU. Um, now, that's both permanently, uh, which is a smaller amount, and then also temporarily, uh, where you see a lot of businesses say, um, I'm going to take a pause, see how things land try and figure things out and then maybe restart. But as it stands, we've got about one in five saying that they've stopped exporting to the EU, which is, is pretty significant. Um, and I mean, it started last year with, like I say, significant disruption. We had over 70% of our members engaged in international trade saying that they were uh, experiencing delays in shipments uh, or shipments even going missing. Um, we had a majority of those saying that shipments were, they had, they had experiences of shipments going missing for uh, all being delayed for over two weeks. So some of that has settled down a little bit, but uh, we are continuing to see disruption um, since then. And like you say, it's not over yet. So um, the start of uh, 2022, uh, we had the first phase of the introduction of import controls for goods coming into Great Britain from the EU. And we've got further um, a further phase of import controls introduced in July. Um, so yeah, Brexit is a 
is a process, I think, rather than a one-off event in many ways. Yeah, and those disruptions um, inevitably have an impact on uh, on, on, on on costs and uh, you know small businesses' abilities to, to to make money. Do you have any insight into just how impactful and, and the level of impact um, Brexit is having on small businesses and the small business sector financially? Yes, of course. And I mean, it, it can really vary by by sector. And I'll talk about that a bit more in a, in a second. Um, but if you look at some of the fundamental changes, they do carry significant costs. So, I mean, the most obvious one is that the UK is now uh, outside of the customs union. Uh, and that means that shipments of goods uh, to or from the EU now require customs declarations. Um, and the cost of this can really vary. So it can be anything from £15 per declaration to over £50 per declaration. And I mean, if you're moving a lot of goods or making a lot of declarations, that that cost adds up. Um, And it really depends on the margin that you have, whether you can absorb that cost. Um, You know, you've also got things like rules of origin, um, which can be very complicated, but it's basically how you can prove that your goods meet the zero tariff uh, threshold that's in the UK EU free trade agreement and basically mean that when your goods arrive, your customer's not paying uh, customs duties. Um, Sometimes that doesn't work. So we've got members, for instance, in dealing with clothing and and textiles, and if they don't meet rules of origin, then their products, when they arrive at the end customer, can face tariffs of up to 40%, um, which can be crippling. Um, So there are some significant costs, and like I mentioned, it can really vary by sector. Um, So I mentioned kind of retail and people active in in, in dealing with clothes and textiles because of the way that those supply chains work. Quite often, those business models have been really disrupted. For instance, if you're shipping in things from, say, India to the UK and then selling them from the UK to the EU, you're likely to be then att- attracting tariffs, and it really makes that quite a difficult model to, to continue. Um, the other one I'll mention is food and drink. We've seen in the official uh, trade data that food and drink has taken a big hit in terms of export and import activity. Um, and that can vary. I mean, there's some sectors such as uh, we have a member who uh, sells seed potatoes and essentially the sale of seed potatoes into the EU is banned. So he no longer can export to the EU. Uh, for others, it just comes down to the, the kind of admin and bureaucracy that they need to uh, need to put up with and need to deal with. So um, if you're exporting food and drink, products of animal origin, you're going to have to deal with things like export health certificates. Um, you're going to have to deal with things like uh, your goods being inspected at the at the border by a vet. Uh, all these things carry costs. So it can vary by sector. Um, I know that many small firms are trying to adapt, but it really depends, like I say, on their their margin, uh, their cash flow, their reserves as to how they've been able to deal and handle some of these costs. Um, and just finally, I mean, there are some niche costs that really are, are a bit eye-watering. So, I mean, I was speaking to a member who... Uh, their business is wedding photography, and they often will go and do weddings in, you know, Tuscany or the south of France, whatever it might be for the client. Um, but because they need to transport professional photography equipment, they need something called an atacane, um, and these can cost uh, well over three hundred pounds uh, per pop. So if you can't pass that cost on to the customer, then you know it becomes a very difficult uh, situation for him. So yeah, significant costs across the the board, but it can really vary. Yeah, significant costs. And you mentioned it's a process. Um, FSB has done a lot of lobbying around Brexit um, on government. Um, What are you asking, what are you calling on government to do going forward from here? So there are a few things that um, we'd like to see. Um, 
The first is actually kind of a repeat of something that we actually successfully argued last year. So um, last year, we had the introduction of the SME Brexit Support Fund. And this is a fund that provided grants for things like training and advice on things like customs, VAT, that sort of thing. Um, that was set up by government. It helped about um, 4,000, 5,000 businesses, which we thought was a good result. Um, but it was closed quite quickly. Um, and we felt that the uh, eligibility criteria was pretty restrictive. So we'd like to see that brought back and made available uh, more widely so that small firms can get this kind of advice that they need to, to adapt to these changes. Um, the second thing we'd like to see is the introduction of an uh, import support service to help our importers, particularly with some of these import controls that I mentioned that are coming in. Uh, we actually had a bit of a success last year where we had a export support service brought in by government, which was basically set up as a helpline and online advice service for people to find out, you know, what should I be doing if I export X product to Y market in the EU, um, which we think is quite helpful. We'd like to see something similar for importers. Uh, and the final thing we'd like to see is basically government increasing the threshold at which they collect customs duties on imports. So at the moment, that's quite low, and we'd like to see that raised to £1,000 so that products underneath, or shipments, sorry, underneath £1,000 don't attract those customs duties being collected. Um, we think that could save quite a lot of money for small firms who often import in you know, lower volumes, lower values, um, but also it probably would save a lot of time and money for government who would no longer be collecting uh, customs duties and doing the paperwork for, you know, a, a shipment of a £64 worth of, of jeans or something. Um, so there are a few things we'd like to see with it that we think could really help. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. James, thanks so much for that. And thanks to all three of you for that look back over uh, some big issues from February. I just want to look forward a little bit as well. Paul, I'll bring you in if you if you don't mind. Um what are the sort of one or two big things on the radar for small businesses in the coming weeks and months? Well, I've talked about some really difficult stuff, so I'll try and flag up a couple of opportunities at the end to finish with a bit of optimism. So one thing is the pay-as-you-grow flexibilities that you get if you have a bounce-back loan. You, know, you can extend the term of your loan, you can take a payment holiday for six months, or you can make interest-only payments for six months. And these are really useful flexibilities to be able to have at your disposal, especially as we go into a period where cost pressures are rising. So what I would say is if you haven't looked at those flexibilities and you do have a bounce back loan that's a really useful thing you can have a look at so i'd encourage small business owners to do that and secondly just uh, looking at a really long-term issue i guess which is net zero could be a really good time to look at your business's plans for moving towards net zero what your next steps might be I know it's really tough to devote time to it, but if you do, then the stories we've been getting back from members is it's a great opportunity. And long term, it could save you money and make you less dependent on increasingly expensive fossil fuels. Super. David, Paul, James, uh, thanks so much for, for taking us through the key small business announcements from the past month uh, as part of our monthly Small Business Roundup podcast series. It was uh, really helpful. Thank you also to our audience for listening to this episode, which was brought to you in partnership with Dell Technologies. Uh, and while I have your attention, I would just like to remind you that you can subscribe to the First Voice podcast to receive regular updates and guidance on the big issues affecting small businesses. Uh, and please do also remember that you can find a whole host of additional webinars, podcasts, and other content on the First Voice website, at firstvoice.fsb.org.uk. Many thanks.
This episode is in partnership with Dell Technologies. Looking for the right tech solutions for your business? Look no further. You go the distance for your business, so do we. To find out more, visit dell.co.uk forward slash small biz.